taking place. And we are part of it. And listen, we don't know war. We're Americans. Everything that's ever been fought that we can remember or we have relatives that can remember was fought on foreign soils, away from us. We don't know what it's like to live in a land where you drive down the street and that building used to be there. And that road is out because it was bombed out. We, we, we don't know what war zones look like. It's not part of our lifestyle. But in the spirit, it is a part of everyday living in our lives. We are fighting a war. If you were to gather together a group of Christians, people who genuinely have encountered God, and they were to survey their lives spiritually, maybe if you did this just in your own heart and your mind right now, you would find areas, if, if your life was a city or a region, you would find that there were pockets of skirmishes taking place. There might be some areas that you drive through parts of the city and it'd be peaceful. There wouldn't be any bullets being fired. There, there would be an area that's maybe tranquil even, maybe even fun. But you also know that if you drove into other sections of the town of your life, you would begin to hear gunfire and there would be explosions and there would be contending taking place and there would be struggle and there would be loss. In the spiritual sense for us, there would be frustration, there would be failure. There would be areas that we have wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with. And there's been times when it's been enormous battles and times where it's been smaller battles. But in certain areas of our lives, there would always be war. And that's not true across the board. There would be other areas of our lives where it doesn't seem like war is going on in that area. And that, that might be true. It may not be much of a battle in that particular area of our lives. If I were to throw out... Areas that would be common to us, we would be aware of personal as well as folks that we love and care about, battles in areas like sexual lust, where there are folks who battle with pornography and issues that dominate and control and bring down and cause frustration and depression and withdrawal to come into people's lives as they fail in those areas. There would be significant notices in our lives of people who have battled with alcohol or drugs. And they've traveled in and out of that realm in times where the battle's not so bad, but then months or years later, it's bad again and it's dominating and there's damage and it's like a whole new wave of opposition has come in. And you drive through that part of town and there's blown out buildings and there's chaos and there's destruction taking place in people's lives. Uh, there would be other issues that are very controlling. Um, you know, sometime in the 70s and in the 80s, eating disorders came on the scene for young women. That was not an issue that many of you would have remembered growing up. But it became rather dominant still to this day, very influential in young people's lives to where those issues become controlling issues. And, and you can be a Christian and have some real struggles in these areas in your life. Oh, and, you know, those are the ones that make the headlines. Now, if I were to let's be real this morning here, let's put the other ones on the table as well. Let's put sins that are maybe a little bit more common, not as publicized, 
but controlling sins like gluttony, that rule in people's lives, anger. Oh, no, everybody gets angry. Anger. Look back in your life and there are a series of relationships that are destroyed because anger in you rose up and you became volatile. And the people that are in your life, they, they live with you with this love and fear relationship of you. They love you, but they're afraid of you because you're unpredictable and you know it. And unfortunately, sins like that, sins like fear, you know, we let fear into our lives or depression into our lives or controlling others into our lives. And, you know, those, those are, are more socially acceptable. You let somebody be fearful, just afraid, afraid to step out, afraid to live life, afraid to do what God's called them to do, afraid to engage people, afraid to, to try something in a new realm that God's called. That's almost a socially acceptable thing. It's a controlling issue in your life. It's limiting the purpose and glory of God. Controlling others. Listen, this is... This can be done so craftily where you're a person who just, you, you, don't, you don't even know anymore that you are a manipulator. The way in which you respond to people when they say things to you, you know, you play the victim and you, okay, well, no, that, no, that's fine. You know, just these responses that you are a screw turner. You reach out to somebody in your life and you turn the screws on them because you're a, yeah, you know, the Bible calls that the sin of witchcraft. It is, it's the attempt to control other people. Now, if I were just to stop there, we could go a long way and just talk about that one issue today. If you were to stop and think, in what ways am I trying to control other people? Not trying to let the Holy Spirit control them. Not trying to let God work in their life. In what ways am I trying to control people? I bump into their attitude. They're relating to me. It's not what I want it to be. So therefore, I do What? Fill in the blank. Come angry. Corner them with your arguments. Become cold. Withdraw. Become the victim. Make them feel sorry for you. Listen, this is all manipulation. It's an attempt to control people. Now see, this one's much more socially acceptable. Husbands and wives, wives in particular. Just being real with you today. Right? It's part of the curse. Your desire will be for your husband. Your desire will be a manipulative, controlling desire for your husband. So it's part of the curse. And these issues come into our lives. And you know you're aware of it and you fight it and you fail and fight it and fail. And in all these areas, we struggle. And sometimes these areas are big, powerful. They're the kind of things that, you know, we can preach a message on it today. And you know what? You're going to walk out of this meeting and you won't be done. It won't be over. Even though you sit there and say, dude, you know, some of you guys come up and joke with me afterwards and say, uh, you must have turned the cameras on in my house again. You know, you've been watching me. You know, God, God can zero in on our lives specifically. I mean, sometimes God will give us words to say or phrases that I have no idea why I'm saying some things the way they are. But, you know, it's just God saying, if you say it this way, that person will hear their issue and be able to realize I'm dealing with calling out to them. You know, even when you experience that by the Holy Spirit, or you, you finish that great book we recommended that had so many great insights and truths in it, and you put it down, the battle isn't over, is it? 
You finish that book, but you're still not free. That thing is powerful in your life because there's a war going on. And today I want to bring kind of all these dimensions before us and and let us see them all together. We talked about learning to fight in three categories the Bible describes to us. There's learning to fight the flesh, the indwelling sin that's in us, the cravings that exist inside of our own hearts. There's learning to fight the world, the environment that we live in with all of its ideas and its concepts that press on us and tempt us. And there's learning to fight the devil that Peter did last week, where we are actually encountering spiritual forces, real life spiritual beings that exist in this world that toy and tamper with your life in ways that the Bible lets us in on a little bit but does not disclose a ton of information to us about. But these are real. I want you to just see these things together. I'm not going to go back and read James chapter 3. I put it in your outline. Go back and read that section again because it shows all three in the arena of war on the table together. But you know, I want to read you another passage here in Ephesians chapter 2. Where you see them all again. And I think it's important that we see them all today. Because I want to bring them all together. And I want, I want us to maybe perhaps see why is it that some areas of struggle in our lives are so difficult. Unlike other aspects of our lives. Ephesians 2 verse 1. says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. So there's a world. The world has a course. It has ideas. It's trying to sell something to you. Trying to convince you how to live your life, what to go after, what's valuable. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's the second part. The devil. There's the world. There's the devil. He's at work. He's strangely in ways that we don't quite understand. He's at work in the sons of disobedience. He is at work in our lives in a mysterious way. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. There's the third part. So in that one quick little passage right there, You see the world and its pressing influence and course that it's directed upon. You see the spiritual component, the prince of the air, this principality, this influential demonic force pressing on human life. And you see these fleshly cravings and desires that are inside of us. When we go to fight, we have to fight in all three arenas. Please do not forget that. If you've been around Christianity for very long, you will find typically churches tend to major in one or the other. It's all about mortifying sin, but nobody ever talks about the devil. It's all about renewing your mind and being taught and thinking correctly. But then there's others that have just got deliverance ministry going on. And you have an issue in your life and we're going to pray deliverance over you or lay hands on you. We're going to deal with that. But then there's no renewing the mind. There's no teaching dynamic that's present in that same church. Listen, when you fight this war, if you put down one of the aspects of fighting it, you're going to lose, period. Sin will find its way onto your shore because you've not played defense and you've not gone after the other issues that are present. Now, what I want to highlight today is, is what happens when all three of these areas, and I'm going to look at actually 
some components of this. What happens when all these areas converge together? They, they all find prime real estate in our lives. Well, when that happens, I believe in this moment now, and these are the issues that I just described earlier, I think now what you have on your hands is what the Bible would term a stronghold in your life. And I think every one of us realizes that not all sin is equally tempting to us. Not every area of difficulty in our life is equally difficult in our lives. There are these things called strongholds in the Bible. I'll put a definition for a stronghold for you. It says, a stronghold is a place that has been fortified against attack. A place that's been fortified against attack. The image there, if you went back and you studied castles and places where uh, great walled cities were set up in order to protect them against the onslaught of the enemy, well, within the walls of that city on the outside, there would be a stronghold on the inside. You might breach the outer walls and you might get into the city, but there remained for the people in that city, in that castle, there remained a place for them to retreat to that was almost impenetrable. You could not get at them, and they were going to be able to remain unaffected by you. And they would retreat to that if they had to do that. That's a stronghold. Well, there are aspects spiritually in our lives where when you go to attack it, it it feels impenetrable. It feels like I can't get this area to respond. I, this, this aspect will not cooperate with me. And I want to explore today, what is it that makes up these strongholds? So this first section in your outline says the construction and components of a stronghold. Here's a very insightful thought from John Owen. He brings these components together. He says, a lust... In one man, and he uses the term lust, not only in the sexual category where we've kind of isolated it. A lust is a strong craving, a desire for whatever it is aiming at. It's a strong desire in a person. A lust in one man may receive many incidental improvements, heightenings, and strengthenings, which may give it life, power, and vigor exceedingly above what another lust has, or the same lust in another man. This would be a place for for humility. Um, I find that we are most intolerant towards people who struggle in areas that we don't struggle in. We bump into somebody else and they're blowing it in this category of their life. Well, we choose carefully that we don't blow it in that category like that. So we got such an attitude. Can you believe this? Oh, man, he's doing that again. And all you need to do is just, you know, on the, the Baskin and Robbins 31 flavors, just turn that attitude now. To your issue. It just so happens, you know, that, that you're Rocky Road and not strawberry flavored. So if you just take that same attitude and you adjust it over to your issue now, your stronghold. Well, I'm not all drinking everything I own away and wrecking my family. Oh, no, I don't know if blowing up on them with your anger doesn't qualify for a problem. I'm not sure if your fear and insecurity that makes everybody have to relate to you in some weird way because you're so needy in their life. I'm not sure that's not screwing people up more than you think. But bottom line, it's sin. And it's a stronghold. And you're equally unfree from it as a person in another category. When a lust falls in with the natural constituents and temper 
with suitable course of life, with occasions or when Satan has a fit handle to it to manage it, as he has a thousand ways to do, that lust grows violent and impetuous above others, or more than the same lust in another man. When the steams of it darken the mind, so that though a man knows the same things as formerly, yet they have no power nor influence on the will. See, this is that area of your life that when it gets cooking, it is so confusing and discouraging. And you may know a lot about God. And you have walked for years with him. And yet this area, when the war breaks out and the smoke begins to rise, you can't seem to get it together. You are disoriented. You lose willingness. This is a strong concept that John Owen mentions here. He says, though a man knows, yet they have no power or influence on the will. How many... Be honest here. This is going to describe many of us. How many of us know what it is to know truth and yet still be unwilling to do it? Oh, we know. We, we, we know about the warnings in Scripture about doing that one more time. We know about bondage. We know about the principles of sowing and reaping. We know all these things. Yet we can't seem to stop doing whatever it is we're doing. We're going to do it one more time. Or we can't get motivated to take a step of faith and get out of this situation. It's just, it's like we just lack the willpower. We don't want to change. Even though people are sitting with us telling us, do you understand the level of destruction you're bringing into your life? And yet something in us isn't willing. Where where does this come from? See, listen, can, can you recognize this is not true in every area of your life? But it does become true in certain areas of our lives. These are strongholds. How do these things get built? Well, I like John Owen's breakdown here. He lists four segments here that I think when they converge, you have got your hands full. He mentions lust, the cravings on the inside of us, the natural bent, I'll call it that, that disposition that kind of makes me who I am differently than who you are. Personality aspects. The suitable course of life would be the third area. And then the fourth would be Satan's influence. I want to just quickly move through those aspects because I think when we understand them, we are prepared to face the realities that are going to come to us in this war, in these categories. First, lust. Lust would simply be the capacity of the human heart to crave or desire or long for or become ambitious about. It's that thing in us that wants something. Doesn't always just mean sexual lust. It's I want something in my life. Now, don't be ignorant of the fallen human heart. Every one of us shares the reality that our heart is fallen. Our, our heart is has been corrupted by sin. It has been damaged by sin. The the rules have changed since original creation, and so my heart still is the centerpiece of passion in my life, but now it wants all kinds of things. It's been deceived. It's broken. 
it can very easily take all the power of desire that God put in the heart and aim it at the wrong thing now. And I want that. You don't, you don't understand. We become ambitious about it. We become aggressive. Get our nose out of joint about some things. Because this stuff matters to us because we want it. Well, be informed. That capacity is in us, but our hearts are problematic. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Take a vacation and monitoring your heart. You should have it hooked up to a, some kind of EKG. It needs to be going on. What, what is my heart wanting right now? Don't, don't let it begin to build a craving into it that you're not monitoring that. Watch over your heart with diligence. Mark 7, verse 20 says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evils come from within and they defile a person. See, when when we think about our life as going south and it's not working, how many of us... The knee-jerk response in that moment is, my problem's out there. My problem's you. (laughs) That's my problem. My problem right now is you. If you would just stop doing this. That's how we respond to life. My problem is the economy. My problem in life is... No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. See, those things don't defile me. What defiles my life is what comes out of me. It's what's in my heart. See, why is the economy driving you up the wall? Because I want stuff. (laughs) And every night on the evening news, they keep telling me, I'm going to be able to get less and less of it. My dollar will not buy as much as it used to buy. Doggone it. I want more stuff. That report's in the way. I am not liking that. Or I might lose something that my heart has been set upon having. Now fear is beginning to rise up in my heart. Listen, the problem's not with the news broadcast. The problem that in me is wanting something. That the news is saying I can't have. Or I might respond to something you do or say to me in a way that's totally sinful. Well, you know, maybe you didn't serve it up in all exactly the right way. Yep, that's the problem, right? This is the way you said it. You know, okay, so you didn't say it right. Why is that bothering me so much? Because I want something and you didn't give it to me. You didn't serve it up to me the way I wanted it to be served up. And now, see, the sinful element came from within me. Even if you sinned against me, the sinful response came from in here. It didn't come from you. So the heart needs to be monitored. First Timothy chapter 6 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Nobody ever talks about that anymore. Those who desire, it's an internal craving, it's a want. Boy, in America, that's as common as, you know, I don't know, wearing clothes, wearing jeans, you know. I'm wearing jeans. You know, we're talking about, you know, having and succeeding and going here and buying that and climbing the ladder. And it's, it's just normal life for us. No one ever gets concerned. You hear somebody talking about, yeah, I'm investing in this and we're buying that. And I'm moving up here and I'm taking that job and I'm going to school for this. And, and all of it is about getting money. How many of you ever get concerned when you hear somebody say that? Yeah, so, you know, say, hey, what are you going to major in in college? You want to major in there? Oh, really? Why is that? Because they make lots of money at that. 
How many of you ever stop that person and say, whoa, 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 I would be very concerned for your soul. If your motivation is so much about money, do you know what the Bible says about that? See, for us, it's American. It's just normal. Everybody, everybody's after money. You know, we're just commonality. But the Bible says those desires... He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All because there was a lust, there was a desire, there was a craving in the heart. The Christian must, must ever be managing what he wants. He must always monitor, what is it that you really want right now? And why is it that you want that so badly? That will become a strong place to control in your life. See, you know, when somebody else, this is, this is again that pride issue, somebody else stumbles in an area of sin for them, that you don't have any desire for that, you know. That area of life doesn't matter to you one bit. So you don't have any, there's no craving in you. So guess what? When temptation comes to you in that category, see, it doesn't have that convergence thing happening right now because you don't have any desire for it. Now, the other person that you so disrespect because they're stumbling all over the place and that's that's so beneath, you know, I can't believe people stumble in that. Well, it just so happens, again, just, you know, dial into your 31 flavors and find out wherever it is your desire lies, you're stumbling all over the place in that category. So be careful when you look at somebody else. They're stumbling in their category. That's where their desires are. They want something really bad that you could care less about. Quite honestly, you're not any more spiritual than they are. You just get a break in that category. That's a part of the city where there's not any fighting taking place for you. Let's drive across town for you. Because your area is on the other side of town. And you crave something over there desperately. And when you can't get that, whew, now you've got issues on your hand, right? Let's be humble as we walk with each other. We realize somebody else is struggling in an area that I don't happen to be struggling in. But I've got my issues. I've got my categories where that's happening. You can look at those quotes on your own. Let me move next to the, just the natural bent. What is the natural bent for each of us? The second area of convergence has to do with what John Owen calls the natural constituents and temper. It's just kind of the way we are. It's your tendencies. It's your personality. It's those aspects of of uniqueness. Now, I want to raise something here. What is it that makes us unique? What is it that makes us different from one another? And we can very easily go here. When we look on the outside, there are aspects to us that are different. Right? Different colored hair, different height, different build, different skin tones. But, you know, what is it that makes it that way? Well, I guess we could say genetics does that. Right? There's something genetically different between us that makes us unique. Might it be that other things about us will someday be discovered that they're genetic? Your personality aspects. Is there some little string of DNA and cells that join themselves this way versus that way that kind of make people respond this way or respond that way? Their attitudes, their personality aspects, their interests. See, there's uniqueness among us. We're, just, we're different. Right? Some people encounter life and they respond to it very differently. You, know, you, could, you could be a personality kind of person who's 
um, maybe you're a salesman. You got a personality that does that well. And somebody else is a computer technician. You know, doesn't, I don't want to deal with people. I want to bury my head in something. And I want to fix it. And that's what I'm comfortable with. And if you get me in front of people, oh, oh, everything in me. My skin is crawling. But the guy who's a salesman, he is thriving. He loves it. Give me people all the time. People who engage life, some engage it immediately with emotions. It's just, you know, when they meet life, they meet it with a wave of emotion. And others of us just logically Mr. Spock our way through life. And here comes information and we analyze it and we just say, well, it's just that, you know. And, and you know, we, we tend to sort of interact with people judging, assessing, just not realizing. You know what? There's a lot of natural stuff about us that makes our life difficult and hard in certain categories. Right? There's the, the artist who's a certain way, and there's the athlete who's a certain way, and they tend to be different categories of people that tend to engage life differently. Well, listen, I think if that's true about who we are, that when life comes to us, sin and temptation will come to us differently as well. I'm going to interact with sin and temptation differently based on some of what uniquely makes me who I am. Now, is that in my genetics? I don't know. Is it in my upbringing? Perhaps. Maybe a combination of both. But, but here would be the issue for a Christian is the Bible speaks to you and to all of us with the knowledge that there is something that makes us uniquely who we are. And then it throws out this all-encompassing things like the commands of God. You realize in this room, not everybody is tempted sexually the same way. Not everybody is affected, I should say, by sexual temptation. For some folks, it is much bigger of a battle than it is for others. And it's not necessarily because those who don't necessarily fight the battle have so successfully mortified sin in that category. It may be that, but it may also be that your natural bent is just different than this person's over here. It's not as big of a temptation for you because you're naturally different than that person. But yet the Bible for this person still tells you equally, do not commit adultery. Do not look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart. Oh, listen, that may be easy for the genetic guy over here who doesn't have any genes going on in that category. But you understand, I got raging hormones, pal. I mean, since I was little, I've always been that way. I mean, I I could tell you some stories, man. You know, the Bible doesn't have another version for you. It doesn't come along and say, listen, for those of you with raging hormones, try your best only to commit adultery infrequently. You know, let's just see if we can just keep it to a minimum for you guys. Uh, and looking upon a woman to lust after, you know, that one's just blow that one off. You're not even going to come close to pulling that one off. So you're free from that one. Does it adjust course that way? You know, in, in a room like this, there are people who are aggressively wanting. You want to move up. You want to own things. You want stuff. And there are other people who could care less about stuff. You just kind of, you're wired that way. Your whole life you've been that way. You don't pay attention to stuff. You know, the latest thing that comes out never catches your attention. You're just uninformed and you don't care. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you're really, really spiritual because you're that way. You're just naturally bent that way. So you don't have to fight the battle quite as much for things and stuff and coveting. But then there's other people whose eyes are on the hills looking for what's coming next. Did you know there's a new iPod coming out? Did you know there's a new phone? I gotta get a new car. I mean, just everything new just captures your attention. 
Do you understand the, the person who genetically, if you want to say it that way, is that way, doesn't get thou shalt not covet. Well, well listen, for you, that's going to be a problem. So how about the dumbed down Bible? <sighs> Don't go overboard with your coveting. You know, it's the same Bible. Thou shalt not covet. It's still wrong for you, even though it's a harder battle for you. And I think that's true. Listen, what is, it, what is that truth? Because listen, when God speaks commands, don't you think God knows genetics? Does anybody here really think that the scientists are going to inform God one day? There's this thing called DNA, God. Bet you didn't know that. It kind of makes up who we are. You didn't take that into account, did you? Listen, God made us. We're not informing him. So when, when modern man turns around and says, homosexuality is a genetic issue. Okay, I'm not trying to be real crude here, but, well, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> young men and young boys have sexual issues. Right? They have great desires. Can I tell you this? For every person who says they have homosexual desires, can I tell you, get in line behind, you know, like I think that statistically there's 4% of the population struggles in that area. So every four who struggle to act upon impulses that are homosexual in nature, there are 96 others who are struggling to do it with the opposite sex. Genetically. Right, it's not as though, well, I have a gene problem. Listen, everybody's got a gene problem. The whole world fell in Adam. We all got gene problems. So the same Bible that turns around and says, flee fornication. Oh, you don't understand, man, I got a gene problem. It's genetic, you see. Okay, congratulations on your genetics. Flee fornication anyway. Is the same Bible that says homosexuality is wrong. Oh, but I'm tempted, you see, and it's genetic. That doesn't matter even if it is true. But the reality of our lives is there are, there are certain things about us that come to play when temptation comes to visit us. Some of it may be, some of it may be from our background, our environment that we grew up in, the way in which we were treated, things that harmed us, things that influenced us when we were children. Those are real issues. And when temptation comes to you, if it can get a hold of one of those things, in addition to your own lust, okay, now I'm building a stronghold now. Now I've got bricks going in place because I'm working with some good material now. You want to do this anyway. It's naturally in you. It's the way in which you've learned to respond to life. You're afraid of people because of this, and you've been practicing that for years. I've got an easy in on you right now. And that'll become an area when you go to deal with it, it won't want to respond to you. It's build up fortifications It's very difficult to overcome it. Listen, this is true whether the categories are sexual or whether they're coveting or whether it's laziness. How many people just got a genetic disorder of laziness? I just wait for somebody to name it for me so I can just say I have it, you know. Over-relaxation syndrome. (laughs) I mean, I'd like for it to be called something that sounds okay, you know. I'm not lazy. I just have over-relaxation syndrome. Flares up, you know, every once in a while. Honey, I can't get off the sofa right now. I'm I'm just having a hard time today with over-relaxation syndrome. You know, all right. It's genetic, babe. You know, it runs in my family. 
My dad sat on the sofa. His dad sat on the sofa. <laughs> oh, good. That works. All right. Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Oh, geez, don't throw that Bible verse on me. I've got a genetic disorder. Okay, whatever it is that makes you lazy, you're lazy, okay? Whether it's in your gene pool or you learn to be lazy, whatever it is, the Bible still calls us to overcome that. Now, here's, here's the really great news. Here's the trump card for all these issues. When you become a Christian, you get a new battery pack inside of you. You get the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. No longer by your gene pool. The Bible's no longer saying, take your deficient gene pool and fight the rest of your deficient gene pool. It's saying, you get the Holy Spirit living in you. You get the enabling presence of God in your life. You are a new creation. Put off and put on by the Spirit. So please tell me where my genetics cancel out the presence of the Spirit of God. Even if I am prone to laziness, the Spirit of God is in me to overcome those issues. Third area that would be a building block to strongholds would be a suitable course of life. This would just be the patterns and practices of our daily living. Just the way in which we live, the stuff we put ourselves around, things that are involved with us, stuff we look at, things we think about. Question, does your course of life offer too much temptation? Do you tend to take the scenic route in life? You know, you could go this way. It'd be bland and boring, but you could go this way. It'd be much more scenic, a little more adventure, but there would also be more temptation for you to go that way than to go this way in dealing with that situation. Do you tend to create patterns of living that increase temptations in your life? Do you have sound, wise practices that you live your life out of on a daily basis? Or are you just kind of floating down the stream here? Out of control, something else is controlling your patterns and practices, the way in which you order your life. How about patterns of being unprepared to fight? I think this would be true of many, many modern American Christians. Immature Christian hobbyists, I would call them. Christianity is a hobby. I mean, I devote more time to my golf game than I do to my walk with God and my ability to, to wage war in this world and advance the kingdom of God. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, put on the whole armor of God. And you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. They're coming. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Am I doing that? Really? I mean, on a daily basis, am I taking up the armor of God? Am I putting on that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and Having done all to stand firm. Have I done? Do I check my checklist to see what's my daily patterns of life like? Do I have have sufficient spiritual disciplines in place in my life? Am I setting God before me in a sufficient way? Because the world will be set before me today. And I already have cravings on the inside of me. And my upbringing and bent dispositionally is already active in me. Am I putting on what I need to be putting on? 
in order to avoid these things becoming controlling issues in my life? Do I have patterns of presenting myself to temptation? Romans 6 says, to whatever you present yourself to, to that you will become a slave, either to righteousness resulting in life or to disobedience and sin resulting in death. Whatever you present yourself to, here I am. I'm available. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're, listen, this is just really practical. And that's what this course of life really is. It's about practical things you do and how you live your life. If you're struggling with, with images and sexual lust, and yet you're spending a lot of time in front of the TV, or, or you're a young person hanging out at the mall, you are presenting yourself to temptation. It's a struggle, and you are not making it easier for you by presenting those images to yourself, whether they are living, walking by you as you hang out in the mall, or whether they're just on the TV and you're watching them there. That's just a practical issue. How about patterns of giving in to temptation? All right, temptation in this world is going to come. How about do we give into it? I have a pattern of yielding myself. Temptation comes, and, and I'm not thinking wisely in this moment. Let me just, let me just give a, a very vital warning to you about temptation and its effect on you. See, what, what you don't realize, and I want you to see this in the context of strongholds, what you don't realize is when you reach out and touch that aspect of sin, See, the reason why it's tempting is because it's offering you pleasure. Otherwise, it wouldn't tempt you. So there's something about that thing that uniquely touches you, genetically, whatever. There's something about you that wants that. Now, here's the warning. You have no idea how your sinful flesh will respond once it gets it. You don't know. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceptive. Who can know it? You don't know what your flesh is going to turn into once you feed it and you give that thing to it. So you think, I can touch it and control it. I can touch it again and control it. I'm only going to touch it once and control it. Can I tell you, you have no idea what will happen after you touch that thing. This is a very sobering thought. Now, unfortunately, I've watched enough people's lives go down in flames to where this is a thought that this, this thought touches my life. This thought informs me about how I get around things. Because I don't know that the moment I touch that, it's, it's not going to get in me in a way I didn't think it would. I didn't know it would do that to me. I didn't know it would warp my sense of thinking. I didn't know it would affect my desires. I didn't know that the steam of that would rise up and I would become confused and disoriented and unwilling. Even though I knew it was wrong, even though I still know it's wrong, even though I can have a conversation with you about how it's wrong for everybody else. But I didn't know how much it would affect my willingness to where I didn't want to stop. I don't want to stop now. And I can't seem to make myself want to stop. Oh, I didn't know it was going to do that to me. You don't know. Everybody remember the morning that Katrina was about to knock on our doorstep? The night before, it was a bad hurricane. But you woke up the next day and it was a bad mama. Right? It got out over the Gulf of Mexico and it found an environment conducive for it to blow up found warm water and a lack of wind shear. And it went from like category three to category five, just like that. 
So you have no idea what that sin will do to you once it gets into your system. Do not be deceived that you can take sin in and you think you can control it. You cannot. This truth informs me every time I change the channel on the TV. When I change and there's an image that comes up and there's a temptation to look at it. This thought immediately comes to me because I've watched too many men's lives go down into bondage, pleading that they could be free from something that they opened the door to in their life and it has visited them for years. And when I change the channel, my heart, I don't know how vulnerable it is. If I just decided to linger, what would that lead me to next? What craving and desire would it awaken in me that I no longer want to change the channel the next time? Listen, be very, very wise. The course of our life in these areas can become much worse than you ever thought they would be. And there's this self-perpetuating. Once you give in to sin and you give into it again, you present yourself to it, and you give into it and give into it, that that process in and of itself brings incredible harm to you. Because now you begin to believe you can't change. You cannot overcome this thing because I've got a track record now. It's a mile long. Every time this thing comes to me, I lose. I lose and I lose and I lose and I lose. And that self-perpetuating aspect grows and you stop believing you can change. And now, now the battle is over. Once the faith gets zapped out of your life, you can't fight anymore. You don't think you can change anyway. Why even try? You yield yourself to it. And now it becomes enormous. So be very careful in this. Note about practicals. These practical aspects of our lives. You cannot defeat sin and fight successfully with concepts only. If your life is full of lofty doctrines and ideas, but also unwise living patterns, you will lose. I guarantee it. Because all usually when God teaches doctrine, he follows it with a call to obedience. So if you dislodge those two and all I got is some great thoughts, you know, yeah, you and I can talk. We can talk doctrinal truths, brother, about the difficulty of that. And I can go with you and I can explain it biblically. But if practically speaking in my life, I'm setting temptation in front of me. I'm driving the course. that's real scenic. I kind of like to flirt with temptation when I give into it too much. If I've created that pattern in my life, you will lose. Your arguments will fall flat on their face because you will eventually cloud your willingness to agree with your own arguments. It's a very dangerous place. The last thing I want to get into here is Satan's influence. We have lust and desires in our own hearts. We have our natural bent that we're bent towards certain things and pursuits. We have the course of our life and how we're living every day. Now, when those things come in line... Now we have a fertile environment for the devil to bring his influence and accelerate all these things in a supernatural way. Satan is seeking a fertile environment, conditions for investing his influence. What's an environment for demonization? I'm going to use that word demonization. I don't like the words in the, some translations. They're, they're not accurate to the language. The idea of demon possession carries with it all kinds of baggage and it, it either lets Christians let themselves off the hook of demonic influence in their life. 
because they believe, well, I'm a Christian and dwell by the Holy Spirit. I cannot be possessed by a devil. Uh, well, that's not even a biblical word anyway. Okay, when the Bible describes demonic activity in people's lives, it uses the word demonized. They were demonized. Demonized is not clearly spelled out. It does not always mean an internal animation that you know the devil has taken you over and you're doing stuff from the inside out. It is simply demonic influence in heightened ways in your life. So, Christian, not Christian, you live in a world shared by demons. You are vulnerable to being demonized. No matter what your theology is, you are vulnerable to being demonized. An environment for demonization. Is it possible for us to create an environment that is favorable for demonic success against us and gives opportunities, footholds, or strategic advantage to demonic activity? Yes, absolutely, yes. Wayne Grudem says, We should recognize that sinning, even by Christians, does give a foothold for some kind of demonic influence in our lives. I appreciate the way he says this right here. I want you to catch the spirit of how he handles this information that is not clearly spelled out in the Bible. It's just we're made aware of something here. Thus, Paul could say, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Wrongful anger, apparently, can give opportunity for the devil or demons to exert some kind of negative influence in our lives. He is somewhat vague there because the Bible is not specific. Some kind of influence is coming because I have embraced a sinful pattern in my life. I have created an opportunity for increased demonization in my world. What's that going to look like? I don't fully know. I don't know if you'll make the next installment of The Exorcist starring in it. I don't know if it'll get like that or not. Probably not. But something is going to increase in the spirit realm in your life as a result of making decisions to open myself to sinful patterns in my life. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 says, Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Every person in this room, if you are having an unforgiveness issue in your life right now, so this is where Christianity is such a playground, isn't it? Because I know the reality. A room this big, I don't know how many people in here would really be dealing with unforgiveness issues. Now, you stop calling it that, and you really think you're over it. But there's a leash on you, and you won't go there with certain people, and you're restrained, and you feel a certain way. And if I scratch that itch hard enough, you'd start bleeding just like that, and your emotions would come out. Because there are unforgiveness issues in some category of relationship in your life. You do realize when you walk out of this building today, you came in with it and you'll walk out of it with it, a greater influence of the demonic in your life. You take that with you. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking someone to devour. Apparently not devouring everyone, but seeking someone to devour. I'm just wondering, who makes the list? How do you get on that list? You're on the devourable list. You, yeah, you. You're you're on the devourable list. How'd you get on that list? Well, apparently there are things that we do in our lives... 
that make us vulnerable, that put us in a position of weakness. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. What is it that reduces the evil one's ability to touch him? It is the walk of obedience. It is not walking in sin. When I walk in sin, I'm creating demonic vulnerability in my life. Again, Wayne Grudem says, where there is a pattern of persistent sin in the life of a Christian in one area or another, the primary responsibility for that sin rests with the individual Christian and his or her choices to continue that wrongful pattern. Peter talked about that last week. Nevertheless, there could possibly be some demonic influence contributing to and intensifying that sinful tendency. When we choose to allow sin patterns in our lives, we create vulnerability to real spiritual beings that live in this world with us. Let me just bring this last thought here. Again, this whole series has, has served more, we felt, as an introduction to spiritual warfare, not, not trying to explain every dimension to it. But what I want to close with here, this last thought, is when you take all these ingredients, you take the cravings and desires that are inside of you, you take the natural bent that you want certain things anyway, and you've been this way your whole life anyway, and there's something about you, the way in which you were raised or genetically, that makes you more vulnerable. You add to that the course of everyday living, whether there's spiritual disciplines in my life, whether God is in place in my life, whether I run next to sin as close as possible. And then you add the fourth component of the devil into that arena. And and you have a recipe for strongholds, for areas in your life that when you go to tell them, no, go away, they turn back at you and laugh. I say, nice try. Go try that on the area that you don't really care about. It works over there real easy. You know, the one that you don't want anyway, so you put that sin to death because you didn't really want it anyway. (laughs) Might as well kill that one. Oh, I'm so glad the topic tonight is too much mascara, you know. (laughs) Boy, I'm going to mortify that baby. You know, Keith, I appreciated your point last week on the mascara thing, man. I am so free from that. You're a man. (laughs) Well, I am, though. I'm free from it. You know, it's really working great. That area doesn't even matter to me. Go into the realms where you have ambitions and desires and cravings in your heart. You want something. It's those areas where you're tempted to walk unwisely, and it's those areas where the enemy is coming. And when you go to put your hand on that issue, you find that issue is a walled city with strongholds. You go to attack it, and it doesn't relent. It doesn't want to back down to you. It wants to fake like it's dead and come back tomorrow. This is a challenging foe now. And what I want us to be aware of in the demonic realm is when you look through the Bible, there is, there is effect of the enemy on people. You can see it in some of these verses here. Second Timothy says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. It's not in your outline. I don't know why I must have mistyped it. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. Listen, when the devil gets involved in your sin, you start losing your mind. That, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not saying like I could go into a, into a hospital, but your senses become disoriented, foggy. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not thinking clearly. That attractiveness to that thing, and I'm putting away truths that I know, and I'm lacking willingness toward them. The Bible says God needs to bring you to your senses. It's almost like the devil just fills the air with smoke and confusion in our minds when he comes. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 bears that out. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Now, I know we're not unbelievers, but it's still the same devil using the same tactics on fallen people, even if we're not unbelievers. We're still fallen. We still have vulnerable hearts and thinking patterns to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You want to know why? why I choose sin rather than righteousness? I tell you, the only reason why that can ever happen in my life is because I don't see the beauty of the light of the glory of God. If I saw that, I'd choose it every time. You kidding me? You could never tempt me. The devil could never bring something to me that would make me forfeit that. If I could see that clearly, I'd say no to every unrighteous act all the time. So the number one priority is fill the room with smoke. Fill his life with smoke to where he doesn't see the beauty of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So that he'll be open to choosing something less beautiful. Well, that informs the way I live my life. But it also informs me when when demonic activity comes into my world, this is the kind of impact it's going to have. If you go look at these other verses, Acts chapter 26, when God commissions Paul, he sends him to go release people from the power of Satan and from darkness and bring them into the kingdom of God. Release them from the power of Satan. Satan has power in what he does. This dude is plugged in. He has influence and ability in our lives. Matthew chapter 5, the story of a person who is, is demonized and manifesting these demons. And, and remember, this is the, the Gadarenes where the, uh, the person who is demonized has this superhuman strength and no one can restrain them. Right? Jesus came to them. Jesus has stepped out of the boat immediately. There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Now, you think this guy's thinking clearly? He lived among the tombs. This guy, his thinking is gone. This man needs to come to his senses. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Well, where did he get that kind of power from? Well, he has an angelic, demonic being assisting him. Why does you get cravings in your life that become so strong? Oh, and you just can't seem to deal with them. You can't seem to bind them. You can't seem to put a chain on those things and say, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, because all these areas have lined up in your life, and now the demonic presence has made it sort of superhuman. Now it has strength. Now, you didn't realize it could have that much strength, did you? So this is where you need to be very, very wise. You think sin is simply a matter of you managing it. You forget that the devil comes to manage the sin in your life. And he brings an attack. And you didn't know how bad that would be. In all these aspects, Matt, go ahead and come up. In all these, these areas here, from First Tim, Second Timothy, where it says God would grant to the scene in Acts 26 where the Apostle Paul is the one going, to Jesus coming to this man who's being demonized, to the disciples going out two by two and casting out demons. You know, it's interesting, in every one of those scenarios where there's that type of demonic activity in a person's life, God is the only one who can free them. There's no willpower. There's no human strength. God must do it. The power, of, the power of God must do it. Now, what's interesting in most of these examples you find in the Bible is God is sending that power through an emissary. 
Paul, I am sending you to go and set people free. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He went from place to place. He cast out demons. He dealt with powers and principalities as he went. He sent his disciples out to do the same thing. Now, let, let, me, let me summarize this this morning. I want us to close in prayer. And, but I really want to open up a category to you today. I want to be able to pray for some here today in this category. But I, I want to open this category to you. I, I want covenant group leaders to listen carefully. I want those of you mature in Christ to listen carefully. It would probably be, be true, probably be true, that most every Christian has some area of stronghold in their life. And it probably came through, if you go back and review these areas, it probably came through these things coming together in some unique way that this particular area of your life, you may be celebrating God, doing great over here, but this area always has fighting in it. And you don't seem to be able to get over it, deal with it, get free from it. Well, this is what strongholds are like. And they involve ministry in areas that we must be wise from the Bible and going after them in all these aspects. Right here would be the pattern I would suggest for the disruption of strongholds. One, repentance and brokenness must start there. You're not ready for anything else if you're not repentant and broken. No one can help you. Right? Second Timothy says God must grant them repentance. You must be ready to say no to this and eager to do so. Second would be breaking the influence of demonization. Jesus had cast out a demon, I think it was in Mark chapter 3. Remember they accused him, you cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And Jesus said, no, if Satan is divided against himself, he cannot stand. But then then he said this right after this. He said, you must bind the strong man if you want to plunder his goods. He doesn't explain that. I'm not ready to develop a great big theology on how to bind the strong man. But I do think it's interesting that what Jesus was doing in delivering people from the power and influence of demonic activity in their life, he likened it to, I went in and I took out the strong man so that I could take back what he had taken. Now, that, there's a ministry there. I think that that is important. I think there are, there's a need for evaluation. I don't want everybody to overreact to something today, but I do want you to react. That there may be issues in your life that have gone from, I've got a sin pattern, I've made some choices, it's just something I stumble into. No, that's become a steamy, disorienting, controlling, foggy, lose sight of God, controlling issue in my life that I may need this second aspect to occur in my life. I may need the power of the demoniac element to be broken in me. And that may mean that some folks need to minister to you with the authority and the power of God. Paul, I'm sending you to deliver people from the power of Satan to God. There may be ministry that needs to take place. And maybe then in your covenant groups, this is a very important aspect of ministry, that there may be some folks who struggle have gone beyond natural sin components to demonic sin components energized by spiritual forces third this is where i think most deliverance ministry tends to fall apart continuing to fight the battle in the mind we prayed for you today and we prayed for god to break the strongholds of the enemy in your life you still need to think right and while that enemy was there getting you to think wrong he was writing on the walls of your life and if you keep thinking that way and stay in agreement with him you're not going to be free
Even if it's not no longer demonization that's taking place, it's the world. It's the passions of the flesh. You still have to renew the mind. Making wise choices about your proximity to temptation. You can get delivered from the power of the devil only to turn around tomorrow and walk back into too scenic of a drive. And there you are again, facing the stumbling problem. And the fifth one is the very important one, making wise choices to cultivate passion for Christ. You know, listen, Christianity is never, it's never get me free. Get me free. I just want to be free. I just want freedom. No, Christianity is freedom to something. Yes. Christianity is about passion for Christ. All this stuff we talked about today, the reason why it's a problem and the reason why it's wrong is because it's in the way of your passion for Christ. It's not just because it's inconvenient. It's not just because it's, it's troubling you. It's not just because it's hurting your family. It's not just because it's a financial woe that you've created. It's not just those are the worst reasons. They may be important to you. But the reason why these things are sinful and a problem is because they're in the way of my passion for Christ, who is worthy of my life. I want to do that song, The Heart of Worship, that Matt did earlier. Because some of these things are in that category. Let's stand up together. Lord, give us Holy Spirit-given honesty and assessment of our lives right now. Lord, we don't want to conveniently duck serious matters of our hearts where we have fought. Lord, I, I feel even right now, I feel there are some in this room who right now don't want to go where I'm trying to go. They have raised the flag of surrender in that category of their life long ago. They've stopped believing they could change. They're tired of the frustration of being reminded it's an area of failure. They don't want to look at it anymore. They've kind of let that war take place and they've tried to, to the best of their ability to turn their back on it and act as though it's not there. Lord, I thank you that the God who is God, who is Lord of heaven and earth, is worthy of that area of our lives. He's worthy of it. It should not be surrendered to sin and cravings and demonic influence. Lord, you're worthy of that area of my life. Lord, you're worthy to reign in it. You're worthy for your kingdom to come in. And God, I cannot pray thy kingdom come for somebody else if I'm unwilling for it to come to me. God, I cannot pray big prayers of faith for the kingdom to come in places and in people if I'm unwilling for it to come to the shores of my own life. It's a farce. God, keep us from being hobbyists here this morning. Lord, begin right now to show me where's the area that's familiar to struggle since I was a teen and marriage didn't solve it and I'm later in life and it's still a problem Lord show me where my joy leaks right out of my life because I fail so miserably in this category and I can't seem to stop Lord open my eyes 
where I'm practicing deception because I don't want anybody else to know how bad it really is. God, this morning, I want to pray for the power of God, power of God to deliver people from the power of Satan to God, to set free captives, to bring liberty, the return of the joy of the Spirit into our lives. God, I want to pray this morning, just maybe the only step that we can accomplish here today is, is Lord, would you come and disrupt the demonic influence that may have emerged in hearts that are here today. For some here, Lord, certainly there are some who it's no longer just a matter of a sinful pattern and choices. It's become demonized. It's become energized by the enemy. It's become supernatural in its strength and it doesn't seem to want to cooperate with anything. God, I want, to, I want us to pray for those folks this morning. I want us to come the way Jesus did and touch their lives and speak with authority in the kingdom of God and proclaim the liberty that Jesus Christ has bought by His shed blood and rightly paid any claims against those that he's purchased that are here this morning. If you're here this morning and and you would suspect that there's an area of your life that has gone beyond mere natural stumbling, you sense this morning this is this has become demonically energized. I, I may need God to step in here and help me see clearly. Bring my senses back to me. Give me a sense of being able to breathe in the Spirit and take a step of faith and get in agreement with God. I haven't been able to do that. If that describes you, I want to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask some of the pastors and leaders to come and just lay their hands on you. To stand with you in the Spirit and to pray against those influences that are in your life. If you're here this morning, I'm going to dismiss some folks here in just a moment. If you need us to pray for you that way, you obviously need to have enough faith to come and receive it. But I would be a fool to believe that there would not be a significant number whose battle with sin has gotten way over your head and it's way too controlling and you are even wrestling with being willing to deal with it any longer. If that's you here today, Come on out from where you are. Come let us lay hands on you. Come let us invite the Spirit of God's presence into your life. Whatever category, whether it's one of the the big, ugly ones that make the news headlines or it's one that no one would necessarily know. But you know. I'm going to have to sing that song while we're just waiting on you guys to come. Just begin to ask some leaders who are here if you just would begin to wait on the Lord and get a sense from the Holy Spirit how to minister to some folks that are coming, seeking God's freedom. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song.
for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made when it's all about. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. King of endless worth. King of endless worth. No one could explain how much you deserve.
walk with the Lord for very long, there should be in us an awareness that praying for others in this category should, should not be a foreign concept to us. I fear that it is. I fear that there are many here wondering what on earth is going on and what on earth am I supposed to do? Okay, guys, we cannot turn the Bible into a hobby. This is the word of God. This is life. And when I read Jesus instructing his disciples, and he says he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal disease and every affliction. And he sent them out to do exactly that. This is not bizarre. It's just the Bible. That this is a real world. So what, what needs to be happening for these folks is that people are laying their hands on them exercising the God-given authority that I have as a Christian who belongs to God, who represents the kingdom of God, and be able to say to anything demonic that's influencing their life to cease and stop and be broken in its power and its effect over their life and for the kingdom of God to come in their life. I have the right to pray that way. I'm called to pray that way. That's how we should minister to one another. Now, let me, let me do this. Because I realized maybe, you know, we kind of get into a, a rut. And I had a concern, even as the Lord was leading me to do this last week. We get into a rut in doing services. You know, we, we sing for a few minutes, we do announcements, we listen to the word preach, we go home. We sing for a few minutes, we do announcements, we listen, we go home. Um, so when we're, when we're gathered together as people of God, it can be a moment at any time where God decides to pour into our life uniquely. It may not be through preaching, it may be through this right here. It may be just as we're gathered together. Now, you know, maybe somebody's visiting today and you're not used to this, you know. Well, it's just the Bible. I cannot apologize for it. The Bible calls on us to pray for one another. The Bible calls on us to call these things real and treat them as real and to respond to them as real. Now, maybe some of us came in today going, hey, I didn't come in here ready for this. Well, let me tell you this. You need to be ready for it when you meet next time with your covenant group. Let me, let me just tell you something that I'm, I, I'm, I'm jealous for. I am concerned for and I am restraining myself in the fact that there are only three men standing in this altar really you men got it all together huh? ain't nobody struggling ain't nobody owned by anything listen do you know how much my skin is boiling right now because I can only imagine how many of you men are viewing pornography Now, you walk out of here with that. You couldn't stop coming in here. You think you're going to stop going out? You are destroying things that should be glorifying God in your life. And that's just one area, gentlemen. So here's what I'm going to do for all the, all the men, sorry guys, all the wimps who were here this morning didn't have the guts to come forward. The next meeting you're going to have in your covenant group is going to be a men's meeting. Covenant group leaders, listen to me. It's going to be a men's only meeting. And every one of you guys better show up. And the issues are going to be about strongholds in your life. And in that meeting, some serious prayer needs to take place to overcome some issues in your life. Now, if you're not planning on being a part of that, you're not serious about the kingdom of God. I don't know what to tell you. You're not serious about it. You have turned your Christianity into a hobby. 
So, so gentlemen, you're, you're a